At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson, and on this edition, we've got some interesting uh, things to talk about. Uh, the topic of sex is all pervasive. It's wherever you turn and, and look, and uh, there's an interesting article in uh, Teen Vogue magazine that we're going to get into uh, in just a, a few minutes. But with me is uh, Ron Hicks. Ron, welcome to the program. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate the invitation to come. Yeah. Always a pleasure to be able to talk about these sticky issues, Yeah, um, but well, to look at it from I, a biblical perspective. You, you know, know, and I've got you along because you're not afraid to uh, talk about Thanks, some geared. of these tough things. <laughs> right, you're right. a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, you're very involved with your community. But one thing that you do is you bring a biblical worldview to the issues of the day. And uh, I think one of the reasons why we are facing so many challenges in our culture is because so many people identify as Christian, but they don't bring a biblical perspective, yeah. a biblical mind to these issues. Mm -hmm. And Ron, I want to start out with this uh, headline in Teen Vogue magazine. Uh, back in early June, the title of it said this, how to get an abortion if you're a teen. The subheading says it can be tricky. Now keep in mind, this is Teen Vogue. These are young teenage, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls reading this. And uh, this author, Nona Willis-Aronowitz, is the uh, author of it. And she says this in midway through uh, her article. She says, first of all, I'm here to tell you that you have nothing to be ashamed of. And that's about a teen girl that was having sex and then got pregnant. Okay. She says, accidents can happen even, if the, uh, even to the most careful among us. And it's only logical that if teens are mature enough to become parents, they are mature enough to decide whether or not they want to give birth. Think about that for a minute. And she goes on to say, having access to abortion should be your right, regardless of your parents' beliefs. Now, Ron, that statement I just read about it's only logical that if teens are mature enough to become parents, they're mature enough to decide whether or not they want to give birth. I think there is so a logic. So if I'm mature enough to, to drink, then I'm mature enough to, to be a drunk driver. There you go. If I'm mature he, enough he, to be I, able to handle myself with my fist, I'm mature enough to be able to beat you up without any, yeah. uh, or be, you know, uh, that, that's the most ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And an adult is saying this to, and here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Teen Vogue is not just read by teens. It's read by the young ladies who are about to be teens because they want to know what mm -hmm. the hot thing that the teenagers are. That's right. This is insane. So, and, and I'm glad you picked up on the logic of that because she says it's only logical. Well, it is not logical. There are many, many things that teenagers do that are designed for adults or things that just aren't good ideas that don't make them responsible, any more responsible for engaging in that decision that they made than, uh, than what this author is saying. It, it, would you allow a 13-year-old to drive a car? Insurance companies realize your brain isn't fully developed until yeah. you're 25 years old. That's yeah. why insurance rates are so high until you turn 25. There is tremendous, indisputable, inarguable evidence that your brain isn't matured at 12, 13 years old. Now, your body has matured to the point where, sure, you might be able to father or carry a, a baby full term. 
that does not mean your mind is even remotely prepared for anything like that. Uh, You're exactly right. You might say this. Teens have (laughs) political opinions, but they do not have the right to vote. And they might feel very strongly about Mm -hmm. a candidate, but they don't have the right to vote because, as you mentioned, their minds, their brains are not fully formed yet. Mm -hmm. But they're also not adults on their own. They have not experienced. And this is really important that we talk about this. Why don't we let teens make really important decisions for themselves. Well, first of all, because they're not mature enough. Right. But what leads to maturity is the ability to to experience life, to have a job. With 13 and 14-year-olds, most of them aren't really capable Mm-mm. of having a job. They no. certainly can't do it full time. Uh, 13 and 14-year-olds aren't paying the bills. They're not working and then they're not responsible enough to pay the bills nor are they fully developed. Mm -mm. They're still growing. Their minds are growing, but their bodies are growing too. And this is one reason why our society has always had this expectation that adult behavior is for adults. Teens are growing and they're developing and they will become an adult one day, but that doesn't mean they're ready for adult behavior. That's why they don't vote. They don't drive a car until they're 16. That's why if they, they drop don't, out of school at 13 and they just don't go. Their parents are hauled off in the court for, for them being truant. That's right. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, there are so many things that teens are not allowed to decide. But here this knucklehead, excuse me, this uh, author <laughs> is suggesting that if they're mature enough to be able to to become parents. Yeah. Uh, so what they're saying is if they're if they're old enough to actually complete the sexual act, yeah. then they're mature enough to decide whether or not they want to keep the results of that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, we can push a little further because this trend is moving in the direction that many are saying that teens should be allowed to determine their own gender identity as well. If you're 13 or 14, even younger, Ron, we've talked about this on this program before, that there's a movement that says that if a eight or nine-year-old or even younger wants to identify with the opposite sex, it's okay to let them do that. And again, the, the reality is, is that they're not fully developed. They don't have the cognitive capacity to fully understand the decision that they're making. And this is where parenting comes in. And this is where uh, adults in our society come in, where we need to say, I'm sorry, you're, you're struggling with these things. Let's sit down and talk about it. But by no means should we go along with behaviors and with uh, a mindset that is contrary to reality. And the same is true with this uh, Teen Vogue article saying uh, to teens, if you're mature enough to decide whether or not uh, to have sex, you're mature enough to decide whether or not you should give birth. And there's a completely different caveat to this story that I don't know, we might need to address it after the break, but when she says having access to abortion should be your right, regardless of your parents' beliefs. The idea where you have an adult suggesting to the children let me help you get around what it is that you, the the parental involvement, the parental control. Let me let me uh, secretly uh, subvert you and to be able to tell you this is how you can get away from what your parents have told you to do. Um, I, I tell you, <clears throat> I'm, I, I'm getting angry just saying that out loud. The idea that some other adult would 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 come and say to one of my children. Look, it doesn't matter what your mom or your dad said. Come over this way and we'll help you get around that. That's right. And the reason why you get angry, and I get fired up too, because they're subverting parental authority. It's the parents that should have that That's my God-given right. That's my responsibility. Right. Nobody else's. That's right. So as parents, I mean, we should all be concerned about it. Ron, you've got a couple kids. I've got four kids. 
And uh, I'm we're both grandfathers. That's we, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Let's be frank. We're both grandparents. But we we're we're uh, fired up over this because we're seeing, first of all, bad, foolish, dumb advice that's being. And I'm just being very yeah, yeah, blunt sure. about it. Yeah. Dumb advice that's being given to teenagers that really has no place in a healthy society. I want to bring in a little different angle here, and I'm thinking, why would a, a notable, very influential magazine targeted to teens talk about this? Why would they give this suggestion to teenagers? It's very controversial. It's very edgy. And what comes to mind is that, first of all, there's a worldview issue. The editors and the publisher of Teen Vogue are not holding to a biblical worldview, but there's also another uh, spiritual element here and that there's a spiritual battle taking place mm-hmm. behind the scenes. It's a battle between good and evil, right and wrong, and it's a battle that would say to uh, the teen girls, go ahead and do it. If, if you want to get involved with sex at early age, go ahead and do it. If you have you find yourself pregnant, go ahead and have an abortion. And really where this leads is to brokenness and to pain and to hurt, and it leads to a place where the enemy of our souls would have us to end up. And I love it. The, the, one of the most insane arguments that I've ever heard is when, when it becomes popular behavior and people say, well, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Why not legalize it? What would our country look like if we legalized methamphetamines or crack mm-hmm. cocaine? Yeah. What would, what would if euthanasia was, was just widespread around, and in some states it is legal, but um, you know, if you get if your neighbor annoys you, look if it's if if violence is just typical, well then let's don't make any violent crime a crime anymore because everybody's doing it. Yeah, well that that's a, an incredibly insane. No, I'm with you on that. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and unpack a little bit more, a little more of what Teen Vogue has been promoting earlier this uh, year, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Service Foundation serves to meet the deepest spiritual and social needs of people. We feed and clothe those who are in need, ministering to the sick and the imprisoned, preaching the gospel to the poor, and offering healing and hope to the brokenhearted. Agape has ministered in Kentucky jails and prisons for over 45 years. We have established ministries in Haiti, Bangladesh, and the Dominican Republic. We conduct evangelism training and rescue women and children from life on the streets. Agape Service Foundation supplies chaplains for law enforcement, fire, emergency service, and first responders. And we assist individuals in getting admitted into rehab facilities, working hand-in-hand with the court system. To learn more or how you can help us, visit agapesvf.com. That's agapesvf.com. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson, here with Ron Hicks, and we're talking about a controversial article published in Teen Vogue magazine uh, targeted to teens about how to get an abortion while a teenager. And uh, Ron, this- Regardless of your parents' belief, I think it's important that you throw that in there. Regardless yeah. of what your parents have told yeah. you, we help you get around all that. Yeah, and as we touched on in the last segment, it fired both of us up as parents because you have a major influential magazine that's really subverting our role as parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, our authority, our input. And that's really where our culture is, though. It's not just Teen Vogue. It's uh, the movies that Hollywood is churning out. 
It's the music. It's much of our culture, it's what we're stewing in that influences our kids to a high degree uh, to a point where when they're 13 and 14, it, they have a mindset that sex before marriage is normal. If you want to have a, an abortion while a teenager, then that's an option. Uh, and, and this really, our culture is in a place that's not very healthy, not mm-hmm. very good. So here's another article that Teen Vogue uh, came out with earlier this year, and it was entitled this, Why Sex Work is Real Work. Uh, there's a doctor, uh, Talang Mofokang, that said this, and they were legitimizing. When, when you talk about sex work, first of all, you're talking about prostitution. Mm-hmm. You're talking about pimps and prostitution, massage parlors, that kind of thing. This is what this uh, author said. Sex workers must be affirmed through upholding and the protection of their human rights to autonomy, dignity, fair labor practices, access to evidence-based care. It is for this and many other reasons that I believe that sex work and sex worker rights are women's rights, health rights, labor rights, and the litmus test for intersectional feminism. Now, that's a mouthful there. but I don't even know what's intersectional feminism. Yeah, that's another program we'll have to talk okay, about. Right. But <clears throat> I, I, just the, the whole idea that this author's making, though, is that sex work is a legitimate work. And if, and if a woman wants to be a prostitute and sell her body, then that's the same kind of right as women's rights, health rights, labor rights, and on and on. And uh, the truth is that's not true. That is no, not the I, case. I it is maybe it, in the not purest sense, but even in a distorted sense, that if somebody provides a service in return, you get money. Is that is that work? Is that trade? But they they are selling something, and somebody is buying something that was never meant to be a commodity. That's it, right. You know the 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 sanctity of marriage. It was the first institution that God created for the welfare of humanity. And then Paul in Ephesians five says. Um, he says, therefore shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to him a wife, quoting Genesis. And he says, I'm talking about a great mystery. Yeah. Uh, but Paul says, God created the institution of marriage to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. We take that, we take the intimacy of the marriage bed and we sell it and we buy it. And now we say people have a fundamental right and there should be all these things alone. You, you are taking what God has distorted That's to right. be shared in a covenant relationship yeah. and you've put a price tag on That's it. That's right. And, and, you know, and so we're talking about the biblical view here, and that's something I was going to talk about in the, in the last sorry, segment, but you jumped the gun, so well, let's just get right into it. Yeah. But, you know, one of the, the beautiful things about sex is that it is, uh, it's part of this covenant, this marital covenant, that um, it's the consummation of that covenant, the, a man pledging his love and his life to his wife, and the wife pledging her love and her life to her husband and you have this consummation. It's a beautiful act that God created. I think we're ashamed to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. It's and yeah. we should oh, be you know, because it's not. it's uh, yeah. this is the way God's made God made us. <laughs> yeah, it's a know? good gift. Yes. But it's like Pandora's box yes. when it's taken out of the context of what He made it for. And it's there's so many problems when you take sex out of the marital covenant. And we don't really realize it. We don't really realize that sex is a gift within marriage is meant to, uh, it's, it's a language that's spoken. It's a gift you give to that other person. It's this bond of fidelity that you have. There's so many things there that when you take it out of marriage and you commercialize it, you're really not only devaluing the gift that it is, 
but you are hurting yourself as a person. And this is something we need to talk about mm-hmm. because so many people involved with promiscuous relationships that have had many partners end up um, feeling broken. They feel used. They feel this most intimate aspect of themselves. They've just freely given away, whether it's for sale or not, whether mm-hmm. it's just serial monogamy, as well, they talk the, about yeah, it. Well, yeah, it, yeah. it hurts the person, oh, Ron, absolutely. and this is something I want us to drill down on. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're a pastor. You, well, you gonna, talk yeah. to people regularly sure. who come to you with their brokenness absolutely. and with their problems. Well, I was going to say, this lady, this lady must be talking about the... The, the middle-class housewife that's making just a little extra, extra money on the side. Yeah. She's not talking about, and if that even exists, and I, I don't know, she's not talking about the drug addicted, the, the single mom of three with different fathers who has dropped out of school because she had a crisis pregnancy. She has no way, she knows that there's one commodity that unscrupulous men want and they'll pay for it. Um, she must not be talking about those folks. She must be talking about somebody else who's secure and got a good support network and they already have funds and, and all the rest of that. And this is a little butter on the biscuit sort of thing. Cause if she had ever encountered any of those folks and, and I, I'm, I don't know how to say it. I'm not proud to say, but God has put me in the path of those folks. Uh, yeah. There is nothing mm-hmm. that you, that anybody should do to rush to be able to get them benefits and all the rest of that. You need to rescue yeah. them from that. That's right. Help them understand their self-worth, their self-value and that God has created them fearfully and wonderfully. He knows the plans for them, plans to prosper them and not bring them harm. That uh, And that's not what this lady is talking about at all. Um, no. And I wonder if you offered to say, well, would you then become a prostitute? Well, make sure you have health care and all the rest of that. Why don't, yeah. why don't well, you know, I, I don't know if she might be crazy enough to say, well, sure. But, yeah. but that's not normal thinking. It's just not normal thinking. It, it's not to sell your body and to sell the most personal, deepest, intimate aspect of yourself to a stranger for a, whatever it is, a given amount of money is so demeaning. And it's something, I was reading an article in National Review, we'll talk about that in the next program, but uh, 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 an author was warning against the decriminalization of prostitution. And in this interview, she found that most of the women who find themselves in prostitution did not choose that path. They were desensitized at an early age. They were molested or abused, and they lost some element of their dignity at an early age. And it mm-hmm. led to that path. It opened the door to Absolutely. prostitution. The most yeah. women don't want that. They don't want to have anything to do with that. I met a young lady that was caught up in that, and she actually had this distorted view of men. And she said, the men that come to see me are, are fools. They're idiots. Uh, they, they pay me what they could get for free at closing time at most bars. Yeah. And so her view of men, yeah. the men that she encountered, was they're all boneheads, they're all buffoons. Mm. And she actually was anticipating me trying to mm-hmm. interact with her. And, and in fact, during the course of our uh, relationship together, I mean, she, she actually uh, tested me to see whether or not I was. So she had this incredibly bad skew. And, and I flat out told her, I said, that's not working. We told you we weren't going to. And she said, well, I, I was just I just been waiting for the other shoe to fall because every man in my life has taken advantage of me that way. At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit commonwealthmatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. 
The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to The Commonwealth Matters. Welcome back to The Commonwealth Matters. Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks, and we are talking on this segment about a biblical view of sex. And Ron, have you ever considered that many stories in Scripture uh, deal with sexual brokenness? You think of Samson? Our Sunday school class just went through a study of the book of Genesis. Okay. And the number of times oh, Abraham told, told people that his wife, or Abram told everybody his wife Sarai before she was Sarah, hey, this is my, really my sister. Uh, so because he was afraid that he would get killed, and 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 kings before they actually had relationship with her was hey, hang on a second, this is I almost slept with your wife. Are you yeah. kidding me? So yeah. I mean, it's throughout. Uh, how, how about so Samson and Delilah? Samson and Delilah Samson was caught judges. up in, uh-huh. in his lust for her. Uh-huh. You look at um, Judah and Tamar. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you want to talk about an edgy story? Absolutely. You know, one of father-in-law the, sleeping with his daughter-in-law. She's yeah. dressed as a prostitute. Well, he went to seek a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. And you got to remember, Judah yeah. was one of the. Tribes, leaders of the tribes of Israel. Yes. Uh, very serious sexual brokenness there. Uh, David and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. He fell into an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Killed uh, her husband, Uriah the Hittite, so he could be free of his guilt. That's right. And then in the New Testament, we see stories, the woman at the well, uh, who was married five times and had a, uh, was in a living relationship. You look at the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. So we see all throughout Scripture this sexual brokenness. But on the, in, in the big picture scheme of things, one of the things the church is told, that it's the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and he's constantly telling his uh, bride to uh, be pure, to remain spotless, to remain faithful and mm-hmm. have fidelity towards mm-hmm. the bridegroom mm-hmm. because he's coming back someday. To There's going to be a great wedding feast, a ceremony between Jesus and the church, and it's a picture of purity and a picture of devotion and a picture of commitment uh, all right there between Jesus and, and the church. Well, and, and there's a difference in in, um, in in marriage and in engagement. Even mm-hmm. in today's society, you become engaged with somebody, you say, okay, you're the person that I'm going to marry. Typically, mm-hmm. there's an engagement period of a significant amount of time where you say, okay, I'm, no, I'm, I'm off the market, if you will. I'm no longer available to date or to be able to have any, um, any sort of a, an intimate relationship, even through conversation with somebody from the opposite sex. Um, uh, when Christ comes back, there's so many stories about, you know, back in the ancient time, the woman would go and live with the man's husband, uh, family, to be able to learn their customs and traditions mm-hmm. and all the rest of that. The man would move out of the house, mm-hmm. and then after a specified time, he would come home to be able to take his bride with him, and they would then embark to be able to start their own family. So Christ is is saying, as as the bridegroom, as the bride is building, as he's being patient, that that no one would perish, that all would come to repentance. As as the bride continues to grow, and one day he's coming back again. That same story of the to be able to take his bride. We're supposed to be faithful. We're yeah. supposed to. Uh, we're off the market, if you yeah. will. We're there. You go. Yeah, and and so, so we cannot be an adulterous people. So Ron, let me ask you this and put you on the spot here right. on the program. Sure. How often do you talk to your people about? sexual issues and i mean whether it's pornography in our culture or guarding your soul against especially for guys let's be yeah. frank guys yeah. are very image driven yes and are you talking to your men about this are you talking to your young people about waiting until marriage and how to how to keep yourself pure until marriage are you talking to your church about the the analogy that we have 
uh, is a bride to the bridegroom of Jesus and to keep ourselves spiritually pure and spiritually uh, devoted to, to Jesus. Is this something you're talking about? I do, but I have to confess to you it's not enough. Okay. We have an older congregation, and so sometimes you think, and, and that, that's, not, that's not proper thinking, but sometimes you think with an older congregation, those are things you don't have to worry about, but they are. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not doing as well as I should. I'm not beating myself up, but, but, but certainly we could all do better. So yeah. I'd have to say, yes, I am adequately no. No. Even for the guys that are older and maybe, you know, they don't have that drive like they did when they were in their 20s. Let's be frank. I mean, we all have this drive. Guys Mm -hmm. have testosterone. We're image-based, driven by images. Now a little blue pill. No, I kid you not. I mean, really, they're, they're, men are experiencing a second yeah. um, uh, um, youthfulness because of medicine you can take. That's right. So this, the lust and, uh, you know, young women uh, with very few clothes on, which is all around us. Look, mm-hmm. you, you yeah. can go to the beach or you can, if you're channel surfing, you're going to see it. Right. But this is a message that all ages need to hear. Uh, yeah. Older guys need to hear it. Younger guys need to hear it. And I would say we need to find our voice in the yes. church. And listen, before, before anybody who hears this program is going to automatically start thinking, well, Richard said it was the girl's fault for the way they oh dressed. He I did not, not say that. that. <laughs> did not say that. We're not suggesting that yeah. at all. What we're suggesting is men are visual creatures, and we are enticed by what we see. Um, people are free to dress the way they want to dress, but they have to understand certain yeah. things are going to be happening. And I'm not suggesting so, by any means that a man has a right to do anything and Richard isn't either. So if you went down that road, That's come right. on back with us because so, we're not going down that road. So, Ron, one thing I want to speak to other guys, and I find myself, I'm out and about, I'm in the culture, I'm, uh, you know, we've got to guard ourselves against things that are going to cause us to stumble. If I'm at the mall and there's a Victoria's Secret there, even their ads outside in the yeah, building yeah. are very uh, seductive. Yeah, leaving us into the imagination. Guard, yeah. guard yourself against that. Guys, if you're channel surfing... Guard yourself against those channels where you know there's a likelihood that something will be inappropriate. If you are on the internet and going scrolling through social media pages, guard yourself against the temptations there. Ron, I get friend invitations on Twitter and on Facebook that I'll guarantee it they're prostitutes sure. based on the way they're dressed and some of the things it says in their profile. Mm-hmm. Don't friend those no, people. No. Don't don't and even let yourself go there. Here's the beautiful thing: you can subscribe to internet services that help filter those things for you. You can get uh, you can get filters that come into your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually have uh, an accountability where you send somebody. Um, any website that you visit, they send all the links to a friend so that person can hold you accountable for what you see. There's all kinds of ways you can build in those safeguards. That's good, Ron. I'm reminded of a uh, pastor friend of mine in Owensboro that uh, wanted to tackle this issue, and they were going to do a multi-week study on sex according to the Bible. They took out billboards all throughout the city that said uh, in big letters, let's talk about sex. Come to this church at the bottom you know what was interesting is that the uh, owner of these billboards didn't want to post them. <laughs> he said, this, is this appropriate what for a church of, to yeah, talk about? Yeah. And uh, they really pushed back against the church, and the pastor said, of course it is. The Bible sure. has a lot to say about sex. Read they the Song ended, of Solomon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they ended up putting those billboards out, and they did have people come and well, check out Lord, what, sure. uh, what he had to share. And I would say that sex is an important topic. The scriptures has a lot to say about it. Sex is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. It's something we should be grateful for, but it should be experienced within the context of God's design of marriage. And when we do that, we'll find ourselves uh, healthier, 
uh, happier uh, people who are better off, and we avoid all the pitfalls. Of, it's not of, a commodity that should be bought and sold, and and when you do that, you cheapen what God has created. Ron, on that note, uh, good word. Appreciate you joining me on the Commonwealth Matters. And to our listeners, God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.